Welcome to the NTEB Radio Bible Study with your host and Bible teacher, Jeffrey Greider. Rightly divided, dispensationally correct, and standing on the authority of the King James Holy Bible. This program is brought to you by NowTheEndBegins.com. And good evening, everyone, and welcome to this Wednesday night edition of Rightly Dividing. My name is Jeff Greider. I am the editor-in-chief of NowTheEndBegins.com, and tonight, for the next two hours, I have the honor and the privilege of being your radio host and Bible teacher. Tonight's topic, we are looking at something called the Lord's Tithe. Understanding the true meaning of the Lord's tithe and its frightening connection to the time of Jacob's trouble. On this episode of Rightly Dividing, we are looking at tithing in your King James Bible, and we're going to do our best to cover it from every possible angle. We're going to look at tithing before the law with uh, Abraham and Jacob. We're going to look at tithing under the law with Moses uh, and Malachi. And we're going to be looking at tithing in the church age. Uh, and what is that all about? And we're going to hear from a couple of uh, charismatic pastors who have instructions for you about tithing. And we're going to compare that to the Bible. And we're going to be looking at tithing in the time of Jacob's trouble. But as we follow the tithing trail, be forewarned that the Lord's tithe leads you directly smack dab into the Great Tribulation, showing you exactly why the tithe, or tenth, a tenth part, or ten percent, is so special to the Lord. The tithe begins in the book of Genesis with Melchizedek and Abram in Jerusalem, and not coincidentally, the tithe will end in Jerusalem, exactly where it started, at the Great Tribulation, with a conclusion that is more shocking than any Hollywood movie could ever produce. Tonight, we are looking at the tithe. We are looking at tithing, and it's not what you think it is. It's something very, very different, and we're going to be looking at that tonight. Very glad that you're here with us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask for his blessing on tonight's program. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness, and we thank you for your mercy. Just like Jacob, Lord, and he thanked you for the food that you gave him, and uh, he thanked you for the clothes on his back, and he thanked you for giving him a place to sleep, even though it was a stone pillow. And uh, Lord, we're grateful today. You woke us up today. You gave us another day of life. There was some kind of food on the table. There's some kind of clothes on our back, and there's some type of a roof over our head tonight, and for that, we are truly and eternally grateful. And Lord, we just ask you to meet with us tonight, and we ask you to uh, take control of everything that is said and done here. And if there's somebody who's lost in listening to this program, either live or in the archives, that something would be said and done that would lead a lost person to you. And uh, we thank you, God, for your goodness. We thank you for your provision. We thank you for the promises of your word, the positive ones, and as we'll see tonight, the negative ones as well. You are the giver of every good and perfect gift, which comes down from the Father of lights, and that's you. And uh, Lord, we're happy to serve you tonight. We're happy to, to be on your side. We're happy to be saved and headed for heaven. And we commit this time to you, Father God, in Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, you've probably been looking at all the riots that have been happening in Louisville. And as we speak right now, uh, the city is absolutely, it is under siege. Uh, I have seen multiple videos with the people from Antifa and Black Lives Matter uh, organizing in the streets, and some have guns. There's reports of gunshots. There's been multiple arrests going on, and Louis, they've called out the National Guard, and Louisville, Kentucky is absolutely a tinderbox, and they are going, well, they have said that they're going to burn it to the ground, and uh, I guess we'll see in the morning how far they get. But man, oh man, uh, we're looking at the spirit of Antichrist. This has nothing to do with protesting police brutality. This has nothing to do with, with ending racial injustice. This is nothing but mob rule in the streets. Uh, they scream and cry to defund the police. And why would you want to defund the police? Why don't you just defund doctors and defund hospitals? So that when you get sick or you get hurt, there's no place for you to go and there's no place for somebody to heal you. Um, you get rid of the police and there's going to be nothing but anarchy in the streets 24 hours per day with nobody to come to your aid. The Bible says this in Romans 13, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, and that's exactly what these terror groups are doing, they are resisting the legal and lawful ordinances of the United States of America. Well, Romans 13.2 says they resist the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. And so um, we're going to pray tonight at the end of the show. We have a lot of prayer requests. Um, and we're going to be taking prayer requests in the last 10 minutes, and we're going to pray for the people of Louisville, Kentucky, uh, for the innocent people who are caught up in this, and we're also going to pray. Uh, Pam just said in the chat room that a police officer has been shot in Louisville, and that's a terrible thing, and Louisville better get control of that mess. They better shut it down. They better shut it down, but we're going to pray for that police officer, and we're going to pray for the people of Louisville, Kentucky, and um, uh, we are going to be taking your prayer requests in the last 10 minutes of this program, so have them ready when we get there. If you're just tuning into this program, if you're a first-time listener, we're so glad that you're here. We're glad that you can be a part of the NTEB Global Family of Believers around the world uh, as we fellowship together and we we uh, share our day with each other. And most of all, we open our King James Bibles and we lift up God's Word that his word says he has purified seven times, uh, his word that he says that he has lifted above even his own name, and uh, we rejoice that we are saved by the blood of the crucified one. Glad you're with us.
we have just verified that a police officer was shot in Louisville. Um, RT reports we have an officer down. Officer shot as gunfire rings out in Louisville uh, amid protests over Breonna Taylor charges. A police officer in Louisville has been shot amid chaotic protests over the lack of murder charges for the fatal shooting of Breonna Taylor, with footage from the scene showing officers taking cover as gunfire erupted. As groups of rioters squared off with police around Louisville on Wednesday night, multiple shots went off. One officer was shot, according to reports from law enforcement, which has provided no further details about the incident. Uh, so here we see that um, after five months of riots in the streets and over $2 billion worth of damage, uh, they are now taking it up to the next level. And we told you that was coming. If you listen to our Monday and Friday afternoon Prophecy News podcast, we have been telling you that for a, a long time now, that the next phase of all of this, uh, having created their militia forces with Antifa and Black Lives Matter, who I call domestic terrorists, uh, the next step, once you create the army and once you, you arm the army, well, the next step is, is to start shooting people. And that's what they've started to do. And if they can do it here in Louisville, they can do it in your town, they can do it in your city. And uh, we've all seen those frightening videos where um, mobs, a hundred of them, will descend on a diner where people are just trying to eat their meal in peace outside. And over a hundred of these people will descend on um, diners. And uh, it's absolutely terrifying. And they flip over tables and the diners have to just get up out of their chair and run away and uh, in absolute fear for their life. Well, <laughs> you don't think that they're going to leave it there, do you? No. The next step, they're going to start shooting people. They're going to start stabbing people because that's what all of this is about. And we uh, laid this out for you a number of months ago in an article that we did called The Rising Spirit of Antichrist, where we said, it's time to open your eyes to the fact that the spirit of Antichrist is now here and that we are at war whether you want to be or not. And uh, I'm going to put that link into the chat room. If you're not in the chat room, you can go to nowtheendbegins.com and you can just um, search in the search bar for Rising Spirit of Antichrist and this article will come right up. And that's exactly what is behind Antifa and the Sunrise Movement and the Marxist founders of Black Lives Matter. This is absolute anarchy. This is absolute war. This is the end times coming to life. I was saying to Lori C. just before the start of the broadcast tonight, she sent me a, a Facebook Live link. Somebody was in Louisville, and they were just walking through the streets with a mobile device camera, and they were just showing you what was going on, and it's absolutely terrifying. And that's happening right now. That's happening right now. And the entire city is a war zone. So um, 
these are things that we have to prepare ourselves for, that you have to be mentally and physically prepared for. The church does not go through the tribulation. The church doesn't even spend one day in the time of Jacob's trouble. But what are we seeing is a little bit of an appetizer of the main course. And we are so close to this time of Jacob's trouble, which means that we're even closer to the pre-tribulation rapture of the church. And we are so very, very close that we are watching an unsaved world preparing to receive Antichrist. That's, that's exactly where we are right now. So tonight, we're going to focus on Jesus Christ. We're going to focus on the Word of God. And we're going to be looking at some things in end times Bible prophecy that are related to the tithe that have frightening implications. If you think the tithe is all about money, you are 100% wrong. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. I'm very, very glad that you're with us. Yesterday, we did an article called, You Call Yourself a Torah Observant Sabbath Keeper, Do You? Take this simple three-question test 
to see if the Bible agrees with you. And uh, we set up a very, very simple three-question test for you to find out if you are a biblical Sabbath keeper. The first question that we asked, are you one of the 12 tribes of Israel? And that's because Exodus 31 verses 16 and 17 say, Wherefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations for a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. So, the first qualification that you have to have if you would like to be a biblical Sabbath keeper is you have to be one of the uh, 12 tribes of the nation of literal, visible, physical Israel. So that's the first hurdle that you have to get over. The second hurdle is, are you stopping all work? Now, if you're not part of the 12 tribes of Israel, you can't even go to question number two because... Exodus says that the Sabbath is only for the children of Israel. It's a sign between God and the Jews. But let's just say that you get past that question. Well, the second question is, are you stopping all of your work on the Sabbath day? Now, before you answer, you have to know that this question comes with some consequences. Because Exodus 31.15 says this, Six days may work be done, but in the seventh is the Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whosoever doeth any work in the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Exodus 31.15. So, let's just say that you're a first responder, you work in a hospital. Let's say that you work in a bakery. You have to get up really early in the morning. Um, if you are going to be a biblical Sabbath keeper, then that means that you can't do any work at all from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. And if you do any work, then Exodus says you have to be put to death. Now, if you can get past that question, here's the third question. Are you consenting to the death of others in your congregation who defile the Sabbath? According to the instruction God gave Moses regarding the Sabbath, in order for you to keep the Sabbath, you must consent to the souls of those who defile the Sabbath being cut off and put to death. Now, ask yourself, can you do that? Have you done that? Don't lie. Lying is a sin also. Exodus 31.14 says, Ye shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it, it is a holy, for it is holy unto you. Everyone that defileth it shall surely be put to death, for whosoever doeth any work therein, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Now, if you've answered all three of those questions, and you've answered them yes, then you're a biblical Sabbath keeper. But guess what? You're not. And guess what again? There's not even a single Jewish person on the face of the earth right now, anywhere in the world, that is a biblical Sabbath keeper according 
to the definition of the Sabbath that we find in Exodus chapter 31. So I hope that little taste of what the Sabbath day is all about for the Jewish people and the consequences and the penalties that you have to uh, assume for breaking the Sabbath. And as you can see, those penalties are very, very severe. So um, the next time that you meet somebody who tells you that they are a Torah-observant Sabbath keeper, why don't you give them this little three-question test and see how good they do and see how much of a Sabbath keeper they really are. Try! 
We're going to be getting started here in just a couple of minutes. Tonight's topic, understanding the true meaning of the Lord's tithe and its frightening connection to the time of Jacob's trouble. When we first see the tithe show up in the Old Testament, it is Abram paying tithes to Melchizedek in Genesis chapter 14. Then we see it again in Genesis 28 with Jacob. But every place it pops up after that, the tithe is called the Lord's tithe, and it is a command to the Jews under the law of Moses. But as we follow the trail of the Lord's tithe to the end of the prophecy timeline, it is connected with something that is absolutely frightening and almost unimaginable. The Lord's tithe is connected with human sacrifice. Yes, you heard that right. When you follow the trail of the tithe all the way to the very end, which is through the time of Jacob's trouble, through the time of the great tribulation, and what do you see? You see the souls being slain under the altar. You see them being sacrificed in a ritual religious ceremony, and you see that their bodies are being eaten. And that's exactly where the tithe takes you. It all has to do with the Lord. It starts in Jerusalem and it ends in Jerusalem. And the trail is an amazing, amazing and bloody trail. Because this all has to do with God's covenant with the Jewish people to redeem them. The Bible says in Romans chapter 11, and so all Israel shall be saved, but the price of their salvation, just like the price of your salvation and my salvation was the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross, the price of their salvation in the time of Jacob's trouble is going to be their blood, and it's going to be absolutely terrifying. And with that, it's time to get started. One day, Jesus is coming. You may be at church. You may be at work. You may be asleep. God grant that you will be ready when he makes his personal appearance. My God, what if his appearance occurs on a Sunday morning. My prophetic word to you this morning is get ready! Get ready! Yevarechecha Adonai v'yishmerecha יאר אדוני פניו אליך ויחונקה. יישא אדוני פניו אליך וישם לך שלום. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Heavenly Father, we come before you one more time and we ask for your blessing on tonight's program. 
And we ask you to meet with us, Lord, and to calm our minds and to pull us away from all the noise and the chaos of the world and everything that's going on. Uh, and let us just focus on you for the next 90 minutes, Lord, as we lift up your word. And um, uh, Father God, we come to you and ask for you to take control of this Bible study. And uh, Lord, bring to my remembrance everything you want me to talk about. Make me forget the things you don't. And uh, Lord, as always, we pray if that there, if there's a lost person uh, who is listening, we pray that something will be said and done that will lead them to salvation in you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Uh, I see some people in the chat room asking about the Flight 777 shirts. Uh, they are almost done from the printer, and they will be going out probably the beginning of next week. So thank you for your patience. I told you that um, uh, the first order was going to take about four weeks or so, and it's actually a little bit over four weeks, uh, but we are doing the best that we can in this COVID society. So again... Thank you for your patience with that. All right. Um, Carl is asking, does the tithe have anything to do with the pre-tribulation rapture of the church? It's a good question. And we can rule that out right off the bat. No, the tithe has nothing to do with the pre-tribulation rapture of the church. So let's take a look. Let's just jump right in. And we're going to be looking at a lot of different scriptures tonight. So you're really going to need to focus. Let's keep the chatting to a minimum. And we're going to be in a lot of different places tonight. So let's go back to Genesis chapter 14. And let's look at where the very first um, uh, example of tithing took place in the Bible. Genesis chapter 14. Now, um, we will pick up the action in... Let's see, what verse will we pick up the action here? Uh, this is the Battle of the Kings. And this is when Abram goes and he goes to save Lot and uh, they are joined together, verse 3, in the vale of Siddim, which is the salt sea. They're in the Dead Sea. And uh, they talk about the different kings, and they talk about a battle. They talk about the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, and uh, there's all these different kings. Uh, verse 10 says, And the vale of Siddim was full of slime slime pits, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled and fell there, and that remained fled to the mountain and they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and their victuals and went their way. And they took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods and departed. And there came one that escaped and told Abram the Hebrew. He was not a Jew. He was a Hebrew. So the first thing that we see right off the bat is that Abraham was not a Jew. Abraham was a Hebrew, and the word Hebrew comes from when Abraham was called out, and we read about this in the book of Hebrews. Uh, Abraham is called out, and he, he, uh, the Lord calls him, and the Bible says that Abram followed not knowing whither he went, and he crosses the river Eber, and he just follows the Lord, and he travels from east to west, and he goes all the way to Canaan. And um, uh, 
So Abraham is called a Hebrew, and he is the father of the Jewish nation. But Abraham was a Hebrew who begat Isaac, who was a Hebrew, who begat Jacob, who was a Hebrew, and then Jacob with his two wives had the 12 tribes of Israel. And um, one of those tribes is the tribe of Judah. And that is the tribe that Jesus Christ comes from. Um, and, and that's where his lineage, his earthly lineage is um, figured. So the, the term Jew comes from the tribe of Judah. A Hebrew is somebody different. So Abraham is a Hebrew. And um, verse 13, And there came one that escaped and told Abram the Hebrew, for he dwelt in the plain of Mamre, the Amorite, the brother of Eschol, and the brother of Aner, and these were confederate with Abram. So Abram has his own little gang going on. And when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, that's Lot, he armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. And he divided himself against them, he and his servants by night, and smote them and pursued them unto Hobah, which is on the left hand of Damascus. And he brought back all the goods and also uh, brought again his brother Lot and his goods and the women also and the people. So it was a rescue operation. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter at Shedoleomer. And of the kings that were with him at the valley of Shava, which is the king's dale. Now, that's setting the table for what happens next. Starting in verse 18, we see somebody that is not explained in the Bible. His name is Melchizedek, and he is the king of Salem, as in Jerusalem. Melchizedek is the king of Jerusalem, and he, verse 18 says, he brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the Most High God, which has devoured thine enemies into thy hand. And then what did Abraham do? And he gave him tithes of all. So here we have, here we have um, Abram, who would soon be Abraham. Abram goes to battle, and he battles the king, the different kings at the Battle of the Kings, and he rescues his nephew Lot, and he brings him back. And that's a whole exciting thing, and he has 318 trained members members in his little army. And so uh, Abram meets up with Melchizedek. Now, the Bible says about Melchizedek, he's a very interesting person. It says that he has no beginning and he has no end. Um, I think it is in Psalm. I can't find where that verse is. Um, But the Bible says about Melchizedek that he has no beginning and he has no end. And he looks very, very much like a type of the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. And this is who Abram is giving his tithes to. 
Now, up to this point, there has been no command in the Bible to give a tithe, a 10%, which is what a tithe is. It is 10% of something. And uh, we will look at that in more detail in just a little bit. So Abram gives a tithe of all of his goods to this Melchizedek, the king of Salem, who the Bible says that he has no beginning and no end. And and uh, he is really, uh, in my opinion, this looks to me like a theophany. It, it looks like um, a, a uh, appearance of the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. But we can debate that. But for the purpose of this Bible study, this is the first example of tithing that we see in the Bible. Then turn to Genesis chapter 28. Turn to Genesis chapter 28. And let's take a look down starting in verse um, uh, 18 through 22. Genesis 28, 18 through 22. And Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone that he had put for his pillows and set it up for a pillar and poiled and poiled and poured oil upon the top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of that city was called Luz at the first. And Jacob vowed a vow saying, if God will be with me, and will keep me in this way that I go, and give me my bread to eat and raiment to put on. He's thanking him for the food. He's thanking him for the clothing. He's thanking him for keeping him in his way, giving him a place to live. Uh, Verse 21, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone, which I have set for a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. So in Genesis 14, we see Abram giving tithes to Melchizedek, who is the king of Jerusalem. And then we see in Genesis chapter 28, we see Jacob, and he's giving tithes to God, and he's doing it out of gratitude. He kind of makes this this vow with God in verse 20. And he says, God, if you will be with me and take care of me, give me a place to stay, give me food to eat, give me clothes to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall you be my God. And this stone, which he sets up as a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. So this is the second example of tithing in the Bible. Now, turn to Leviticus chapter 27. The first two examples that I gave you were examples of tithing before the law of Moses. Um, And Abram was, he was not a Jew. Jacob was not a Jew. They were Hebrews. And um, uh, here we have in Leviticus chapter 27, look down in verse... Um, we're going to read 30 through 34, Leviticus 27, 30 through 34. And then this is one of the first examples that we see, um, under the law, under the law of Moses, and it's talking about tithing starting in verse 30. 
And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree, it is the Lord's. It is holy unto the Lord. And if a man will at all redeem aught of his tithes, he shall thereto the fifth part, he shall add thereto the fifth part thereof. And concerning the tithe of the herd or of the flock, even of whatsoever passes under the rod, the tenth shall be holy unto the Lord. Now, you you want to write that down. You want to remember that. The tenth shall be holy unto the Lord. The Lord is very concerned with the tenth part of something that is very important to him. Verse 33 says, He shall not search whether it be good or bad, neither shall he change it. And if he change it at all, then both it and the change thereof shall be holy. It shall not be redeemed. These are the commandments which the Lord commanded Moses for the children of Israel in Mount Sinai. So Leviticus 27 shows us tithing under the law. And then we're going to go to everybody's favorite section. Um, there's not a charismatic preacher in the world that doesn't love Malachi chapter 3. Um, Malachi chapter 3, and let's start reading um, in verse 7 to 12. Malachi chapter 3, verses 7 through 12. Even from the days of your fathers, ye are gone away from mine ordinances, talking about the law of Moses, and have not kept them. Return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye said, Wherein shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, Wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. Um, how many times have you been in church and you hear the pastor say, uh, and this is the part of our service where we are, are going to collect your tithes and offerings. If I've heard that once in Baptist churches, I've heard it literally 10,000 times. And this is where they get it from. Wherein have we robbed thee in tithes and offerings? And ye are cursed with a curse. For ye have robbed me, even the whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now wherewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be enough room that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. And all nations shall call you blessed, for ye shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. So, obviously, Malachi is talking about tithing. He's talking about fruits and vegetables. He's talking about meats. He is talking about groceries. And these are the tithes of Malachi, but these are not the tithes that charismatic preachers want you to bring into the church. Um, take a listen to this. As long, my sister, I know you've been reading the Bible, but as long as we say it's laid up, the wicked going to keep it. But God says time for us to tell that money, you don't belong to the wicked, you belong to us. 
and I want you to get in the right place. Money coming to me now. Somebody help me dance up here. Glory to God. So that scene is replayed in charismatic churches all over America uh, every Sunday, every Wednesday. Um, And that was your typical charismatic pastor. And he's screaming, money cometh to me now. Now, where did he get that from? He got that from Kenneth Copeland. And Kenneth Copeland has this to say about tithing during the coronavirus. Fear of this this coronavirus is is faith in its ability to hurt you or kill you. Uh, <clears throat> the, 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 the fear of what are we going to do? I'm getting laid off at work. Hey, your job's not your source. If it is, you're in trouble. Jesus is your source. Whatever you do right now, don't you stop tithing. Don't you stop sowing offerings. Well, they won't let us go to church. Well, email it in there, text give or something, but you get your tithe in that church. If you have to go take it down there and drop it off and stick it under the door or something, you get that tithe in that church, you get that offering in that church, and then you go home and you do what we're supposed to do. Now, all of these charismatic and a fair amount of Baptist and other type of pastors, they're very concerned with the tithe because um, that is how they fund things like this. <laughs> well, first, before I read the scripture, Amos chapter 6, Brother Copeland, I was flying home from a meeting, and I had come out of a glorious meeting. I had just finished, me and Cruffalo Dollar were preaching, had a glorious meeting. So I was, for lack of a better way to say it, I was spiritually high. I said, people yeah. were saved, yeah. touched, and blessed. Got in the plane that God so graciously gave us. We're flying home. As I was going home, the Lord, real quickly, he said, Jesse, do you like your plane? Now, you know, I thought that's an odd statement. He gave, I said, well, certainly, Lord. He said, do you really like it? And I thought, well, yes, Lord. He said, then he said this, so that's it? I didn't know how to handle it for me. I went, what? He said, you're going to let your faith stagnate. Now, when he said that, that shocked me. I went, whoa, wait. I literally unbuckled my seatbelt, my plane. I stood up. My pilots looked around and said, do you need something? I said, no, no, I'm talking to God right now. And he went back to flying. I said, Lord, I don't think I was letting my faith stagnate. He said, so this is all I could ever do. I said, you want, you, you're trying to tell me something. He said, go to the book of Amos. So if you had the book of Amos, I want to read may, the scripture. May I interrupt right you yes, there for a second? Mm-hmm. You couldn't have done that on an airliner. No, sir. No way. Stand up and say, what'd you say, Lord? No. Okay. No. Yeah. And the guy sitting over there saying, what the hell does he think he's doing? <laughs> you can't do you that. You can't do that. No, no. That, this, this is so important. And those of you that are, that are just now coming into these things, um, in, in the first place, Jesse and, 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 and I and, and others, Keith Moore and Creflo and all of us, they, 
the world is in such a shape, we can't get there without this. That's right. We've got to have this. We would have, the mess that the airlines are in today, I would have to stop. I'm being very conservative. At least 75 to 80, more like 90% of what we're doing, because you can't get there and from here. It's impossible. So we, we ha- and, and this was such a good illustration, I just, mm-hmm. the, the Lord impressed me. That's why we're on that airplane. We can talk to oh, God. Glory we to can, God. We, it's true. We, it, it's, when I was flying for Oral Roberts, the uh, brother Deweese, my, my mm-hmm. boss on the That's really all about that that I can take. But I want to show you that in the church age, um, in the church age, uh, and it's usually in the charismatic churches, though it's not exclusively in the charismatic churches, but there is a huge, huge push to make Christians tithe, um, but there is no command to do so. Uh, The Apostle Paul says this about giving. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7. Every man according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give, not grudgedly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And so the Apostle Paul says that if you're going to give to the work of the Lord, then you should be able to give with a pure heart and a glad heart and a cheerful heart. And Paul says that God loves a cheerful giver. Now, there is no command. Paul doesn't write any command to any Christian that they are to tithe anything, whether it's money, whether it's food, fruits, vegetables, whatever it happens to be. There is no command in the Bible to Christians to tithe. But I will say this, I will say this, is that there may not be a command to tithe, but God will bless your giving if you're doing it from a cheerful heart, and it's something that you really want to do, and it's something that you feel that God has really put upon your heart, there are blessings that can be obtained through tithing. Because tithing, it's, I mean, that's 10%. And whatever it is that you're tithing, that's a pretty big chunk of something. Um, and in order for you to do that, especially when there's no command to do that, then that comes under the category of what I call a free will tithe. And um, sometimes that can be pretty hard to do because you think to yourself, man, that's a pretty big chunk. Can I afford to do that? Well, I have done that, um, and I've done that fairly recently, and I have um, tithed from a cheerful heart, and God absolutely blesses that, and you can see when you do that, you can see the trail of blessings that follow that. So, the the main thing that I want you to understand about tithing as a Christian, there is no command to do that. But when you look through the Bible, when you look through the Bible and you see the nature and the character of God, what does the Bible say? He that, that sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly. And uh, these are all general principles that you find throughout the uh 
Bible, and any time in the Bible where somebody goes above and beyond what they're required to do, God usually will bless that in a fairly substantial way. Do you remember the prophet Elijah? And he's facing down the the 450 prophets of Baal. And man, oh man, I mean, he sets a thing up where he makes an altar and they make an altar and then they put stones around it and then they fill it with water and then they say, okay, let's start praying and whoever's God can set their altar on fire, then that God is God. And uh, Elijah really set the bar very, very high. Um, but God answered in a very, very spectacular way and gave him the victory. So the way that I look at tithing from a Christian perspective, remember, um, Abraham, he tithed to Melchizedek. Jacob tithed unto God, and neither one of them were under the law of Moses. Now, the law of Moses is very specific, and it revolves mostly around food. When you look at just about every example of tithing in the Old, Tes- in the Old Testament, especially with the one that we just looked at with um, Malachi, uh, what were they talking about? It was a tithe of food. And they were to bring it into the temple so that the high priest and the Levites and all those people would have something to eat. Uh, Malachi 3.10, bring ye, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in my house. Um, that's food. Uh, verse 30, verse 11. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, and neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field. So, under the law of Moses, the tithe was largely centered around fruits, vegetables, and meat. And that's the way that the whole thing was set up. So, here we see a good primer of what tithing is all about, starting from the first recorded tithe in Genesis chapter 14. And then we kind of stepped up a little bit and we looked at different examples of tithing. Now, if you're a Jew and if you're under the law of Moses, you are absolutely commanded to tithe. And when you look in Malachi chapter 3, these aren't spiritual blessings that are being promised for the people who tithe. These are physical blessings. Uh, Malachi is saying that um, if the Jews will bring their tithes and offerings into the storehouse, then God is going to bless the work of their hands. He's going to bless their crops. He's going to bless the fruit of the vine. Um, and, and, and these have very specific physical implications. For the Christian, um, there is no promise to the Christian that if you start tithing, God is going to bless the work of your hands and God is going to make your crops grow. There is no promise to that. Malachi chapter 3 is not written to a Christian. It's written to Jews who are under the law. You are not a Jew and you are not under the law. So doctrinally, this wouldn't apply to you at all. Um, but 
in the examples that I played for you from those charismatic pastors, uh, they love to go to this section because this is where they put pressure on people to give 10% of their income. Wouldn't it be funny if the people in their congregation took this command uh, literally and instead of giving money, they brought in tomatoes and squash and carrots and green peppers and zucchini, um, because that's what Malachi is talking about. Malachi is talking about fruits and vegetables. And um, the vast majority of examples of tithing in the Old Testament are fruits and vegetables. Look it up if you don't believe me. Um, with that, we have to take our first break of the night, but we're going to be back in just a few minutes. So stay with us as we continue our look at tithing. And we are back. If you're just tuning in, we are talking about the Lord's tithe. And in the first half hour, we looked at um, the very first tithe ever recorded in the Bible with Abram. We looked at the tithe of Jacob 
before God. We looked at the tithes that we found in Leviticus and Malachi, and uh, we saw that the Bible refers to it as the Lord's tithe. And um, uh, uh, now we are going to look at a, a, a deeper aspect of why God might require 10% of something. Turn, <clears throat> excuse me, turn to, to Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16 and look down in verse 32. When the Jews were wandering in the wilderness, something that they're going to do again in the tribulation when they flee Antichrist, we see that in Revelation chapter 12, God fed the Jews with manna. He instructed the Jews to take some of that manna and place it in the Ark of the Covenant. The amount that he told them to preserve was 10%. So here we see in Exodus chapter 16, God is feeding the Jews who are wandering in the wilderness, and uh, they did it when they left Egypt, and they're going to be doing it again in the time of Jacob's trouble. And we're going to look at that in just a minute. And we see that in Matthew 24. We see that in Luke 21. And we see that in Revelation chapter 12. But here in Exodus chapter 16, we see that God is telling them to preserve a tenth or a tithe of the manna in the Ark of the Covenant. Um, uh, as a memorial, Exodus sixteen thirty-two through 36. And Moses said, This is the thing which the Lord commandeth, fill an omer of it to be kept for your generations, that they may see the bread wherewith I have fed you in the wilderness when I brought you forth from the land of Egypt. Um, and Moses said unto Aaron, Take a pot and put an omer full of manna therein, and lay it up before the Lord to be kept for your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron laid it up before the testimony to be kept. And the children of Israel did eat manna forty years until they came to a land inhabited. They did eat manna until they came to the borders of the land of Canaan. Now look at verse 36. Now in Omer which is the amount that they were commanded to put into the Ark of the Covenant of the manna, is a tenth part of an ephah. So, for whatever his reasons are, when the Jews were wandering through the wilderness, as they were coming out of Egypt, and remember, in the time of Jacob's trouble, um, Jerusalem is going to be considered like Egypt, and like Sodom. Turn to Revelation chapter 11 and look at what happens with the two witnesses, verses um, uh, 7 through 10. Revelation 11, 7 through 10. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of that great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt. This is Jerusalem, 
where also our Lord was crucified, and they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half, and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put into the graves. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry, and shall send gifts one to another, because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. So here we see an actual holiday being created. They are rejoicing. They are celebrating. They are making merry. They are giving gifts to each other because the two prophets, the two witnesses were murdered. And this is a cause for a a religious celebration. And that's exactly what's happening here in Revelation chapter 11. Now, what does that have to do with Exodus chapter 16? Well, in Exodus, the Jews were fleeing Egypt. And in Revelation uh, 12, the Jews are going to be fleeing Jerusalem, which Revelation 11 tells you it has become a type of Egypt. So what happened in Exodus actually happened, but it's also a type of what's going to be taking place during the time of Jacob's trouble when the Jews are forced to flee. Remember what Matthew chapter 24 says. Matthew chapter 24 says, um, where is it here? Uh, Verse 15, When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. So, once again, the Jewish people as a nation are going to flee. In Exodus 16, they were fleeing the actual Egypt, which had held them in bondage for 400 years. But in Revelation 12, they are going to be fleeing from Jerusalem, which God tells you in Revelation chapter 11, because Antichrist is there, and Antichrist is on the throne, and Antichrist is making these blood sacrifices, the Jews are commanded to flee into the mountains. Um, So, uh, we begin to see that for whatever God's reasons, there is a tithe that is connected to the Jews fleeing. Now, um, this is where it starts to get a little bit sticky. Turn to Ezra chapter 9. Turn to the book of Ezra chapter 9. And let's look at verses 1 and 2. Ezra chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. Um, hold on. Nope, that's not what I want. I don't think. Nope, give me one second here. I wrote down the wrong verses. Give me one second. Ah, uh, well, actually... Oh, I was in there. Ezra chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. I was just looking in the wrong place. Now, when these things were done, the princes came to me, saying, The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the lands, doing according to their abominations, even of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, 
the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. For they have taken of their daughters for themselves and to their sons, so that the holy seed have mingled themselves with the people of those lands, yea, the hand of the princes and the rulers hath been chief in this trespass. So, what is Ezra chapter 9 verses 1 and 2 telling you? They are saying that the children of Israel have not obeyed the command of God to not go whoring after other women that God said, don't join yourself to. God says, don't take of yourselves wives of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Jebusites and all the rest of the ites. And the Jews were not supposed to mingle physically and have children with these people that God had already told them, do not mingle with these people. But I want you to look at verse 2, what God calls the Jewish people. He says, so that the holy seed have mingled themselves with the people of those lands. So uh, God is referring to the Jewish people his chosen people that he has called out. Um, he is referring to them as the Holy Seed. And all through the Bible, we read that God has a very specific relationship with the Jewish people. Um, Deuteronomy 7, verse 6 says, For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God has chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all the people that are upon the face of the earth. Deuteronomy 14, 2 says, talking about the Jewish people, For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God, and the Lord has chosen thee to be a peculiar people unto himself above all the nations that are upon the earth. Uh, uh, Deuteronomy 26.17 says, Thou hast avouched the Lord this day to be thy God and to walk in his ways and to keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments and to hearken unto his voice. And then verse 19 says that thou mayest be an holy people unto the Lord thy God as he has spoken. First uh, Kings eight fifty three says, For thou didst separate them from among all the people of the earth to be thine inheritance, as thou spakest by the hand of Moses thy servant, which broughtest our fathers out of Egypt, O Lord God. And the Bible goes on and on and on. Psalm 135, verse 4, says, For the Lord has chosen Jacob unto himself and Israel for his peculiar treasure. Now, um, that's how God views the Jewish people, his elect, the chosen people. And in Ezra, he is also calling the Jewish people, he is referring to them as the holy seed. Now, let me tell you why this gets really bad really fast. Now that we've established 
that God has a very special and unique relationship with the Jewish people, and I just gave you half a dozen verses that tell you clearly that God esteems the Jewish people above all other nations, above all other races of people. Uh, Deuteronomy 14.2, For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God, and the Lord has chosen thee, the Jewish people, to be a peculiar people unto himself above all the nations that are upon the earth. That's Deuteronomy 14.2. So, this is the relationship that God has with the Jewish people. Now, turn to Isaiah chapter 6. And let's look at something. We're going to start to connect all of this together. Isaiah chapter 6. And we're going to look at something that is going to be unsettling. But this is the way it's going to go. And it is all connected to the tithe. Isaiah chapter 6. And let's start reading uh, in verse 8. Isaiah chapter 6, we're going to read verses 8 through 13. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go, and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people the Jewish people, fat and make their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and convert and be healed. Then said I, Lord, how long? And he answered, until the cities be wasted without inhabitant. This is the time of Jacob's trouble. And the houses without man, and the land be utterly desolate. And the Lord have removed men far away, and there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. But yet it shall be a tenth, and it shall return, and it shall be eaten as a teal tree and as an oak whose substance is in them when they cast their leaves. So the holy seed shall be the substance thereof. Now, I want you guys to really be paying attention because you might have missed what I just said. Isaiah, in verse 11, is asking the Lord, how long will all this go on? And the Lord says, until the cities be wasted without inhabitant and the houses without man and the land be utterly desolate. This is Luke chapter 21. This is Matthew 24. This is uh, Revelation 13 and, and, and 17 and 18. Until the cities be wasted without inhabitant and the Lord has removed men far away and there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. But... Look at verse 13. Yet it shall be a tenth or a tithe, and it shall return and shall be eaten as a teal tree and as an oak, whose substance is in them when they cast their leaves. So the holy seed shall be the substance thereof. Now, what is Isaiah telling us? 
he is telling us that in the time of the great tribulation, that a tenth of the Jewish people are going to be sacrificed on the altar of Antichrist. They're going to be killed. They're going to be decapitated. And then they're going to be eaten. That's what, that's what Isaiah 6.13 is saying. The holy seed, as I've already shown you, um, the holy seed is, that's what God calls the Jewish people. And verse 13 says, but yet it shall be a tenth and it shall return and shall be eaten as a teal tree and as an oak whose substance is in them when they cast their leaves. So the holy seed shall be the substance thereof. So this is what the tithe is going to mean in the time of of Jacob's troubles. Now, can you start to put all these pieces together? And can you see that it, it was no accident that Abram offered tithes in Jerusalem to Melchizedek, who was either a type of Jesus Christ or a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ? So the very first place that 10% of anything was ever talked about in the Bible happened with the king of Jerusalem, the king of Salem, Melchizedek, and Abram, who God has called, who was God's special friend, and Abram, with no command to do so, gives a tithe, he gives a tenth to the king of Salem, the king of Jerusalem, in what would be Jerusalem. Now, Estevic is asking, evidently some will flee and some will not. Is that correct? That is exactly right. Um, turn to Revelation chapter 13, and let's see how all this plays out. Revelation chapter 13, um, verses uh, um, 4 through 6, 7, 8. <laughs> Uh, Revelation 13, 4 through 8. And they worshiped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. That's three and a half years. That's the great tribulation. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints, not the 144,000, but he's making war with the tribulation saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations, and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Turn to Revelation chapter 6. And then look down at the bottom, Revelation chapter 6, starting in verse 9. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw five is the number of death. I saw under this, the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God. 
and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, O Lord... How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes was given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. So here we see that there is a plan In the time of Jacob's trouble, in the time of the great tribulation, there is a plan that God has to carry out that these people, they have to give their lives, and this is how they're going to get into heaven. Verse 11 says that they were given white robes and they were told to rest until their fellow servants should be killed in the same manner that they were. Now, turn to Matthew chapter 24. Turn to Matthew chapter 24, look down in verse 15. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Now, let me ask you something. When the Antichrist takes over the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem that was rebuilt for animal sacrifice, what do you think that he's going to do once he takes control? Do you think that he's going to sacrifice animals, which is God's way of doing it? Do you remember that Lucifer said, I will ascend up to the sides of the north. I will be like the Most High, right? He wants what God has, and he's the great counterfeit. And he he mocks God. What did uh, Judas do, who's a type of Antichrist? He What did Judas do just 12 hours before Jesus went to the cross? Judas went and he hung himself on a tree. The Bible says, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. The Bible also says that the cross is a type of a tree. And um, that's why Judas went and he hung himself. He didn't feel bad. He didn't feel remorse. He didn't feel guilt. What was Judas doing hanging himself on a tree when just 12 hours later, Jesus was going to be going to the cross that the Bible calls a tree. Um, Judas was mocking the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He never repented. He was never sorry. He never felt bad for one single second. Judas was a type of Antichrist. And when Antichrist shows up on the scene, Judas is going to come out of his special place from Acts one twenty-five, and he is going to once again, he is going to be Antichrist. But what was Judas doing? Hanging himself on a tree, he was mocking the sacrifice that Jesus was about to make. And that's exactly what Antichrist is going to do when he takes over the temple. Um, uh, Turn to Psalms chapter 106. Psalm 106 verses 37 and 38. Psalm 106, 37 and 38. 
Yea, they sacrificed their sons and their daughters unto devils, and shed innocent blood, even the blood of their sons and of their daughters, whom they sacrificed unto the idols of Canaan. And the land was polluted with blood. In the time of Antichrist, when he takes over Jerusalem, when he takes over Israel, uh, Daniel says that he plants his tabernacle in the glorious land between the seas. Well, the glorious land between the seas is Israel and Jerusalem. And that's why Revelation chapter 11 tells you that Jerusalem has become like Sodom and has become like Gomorrah. Now, what is Antichrist going to do when he takes everything over? He's going to take all of the useful idiots that followed him, that believed him, that trusted him. Psalm 16 verse 4, their sorrows shall be multiplied that hasten after another god. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer, nor take up their names into my lips. Psalm 16.4 says that some of the Jewish people are going to go after Antichrist and worship him and take his name and his number and follow him. And Psalm 16.4 says, Their sorrows shall be multiplied that hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer. Now turn to Revelation 16, uh, verse 4 through 6. Kind of funny how they match. Psalm 16, verse 4. Now go to Revelation 16, verse 4 through 6. And the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and the fountains of waters, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and wast and shall be, because thou hast judged thus. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink, to drink, for they are worthy. So here what we're seeing in the time of Jacob's trouble, in the time of the great tribulation, um, Isaiah, now with all that in mind, go back to Isaiah chapter 6, verses 11 through 13. Then I said, Lord, how long? And he answered, until the cities be wasted without inhabitant, and the houses without man, and the land be utterly desolate, and the Lord have removed men far away, and there be a great forsaking in the land. But yet in it shall be a tenth, and it shall return, and shall be eaten as a teal tree, and as an oak, whose substance is in them when they cast their leaves. So the holy seed, the Jewish people, shall be the substance thereof. Now, I want you to think from a practical perspective. Let's kind of pause there for just a moment. And I want you to think from a practical perspective. Can you think of any religion on the face of the earth right now that holds religious services multiple times per day, every single day, and in that service, they are telling you and offering 
a chalice of blood and they are inviting you to drink from that chalice of blood. It is not a, a memorial of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, but in the Catholic Church, of which I was a member for 29 years, and uh, I was an altar boy for three of those years, and I um, helped to officiate and to assist um, dozens and dozens of masses over a three-year period. And if you ha- if you know anything about the Roman Catholic religion, they believe in the doctrine of transubstantiation. They believe that when they raise the cup and they say those hocus-pocus Latin phrases, they believe that that cup of wine turns into the blood of Jesus Christ. Not only that, the wafer that they raise up in a golden bowl, and they pray over it in Latin again. And then they give it to you to eat, and they say, receive the body of Christ. It is not a memorial. It is not a remembrance. It is not a representation. It is the Catholic doctrine of transubstantiation. And they teach and they believe that when they offer up the wine in that chalice and they drink it, they are drinking the blood of Jesus Christ. This is Catholic doctrine. And when they eat the bread, they are teaching and believing that they are physically eating the body of Jesus Christ. That is cannibalism. Now, why, ask yourself this question, why would any religion do that? Why would you claim that you are drinking the blood of another human being when there is no command in the Bible to drink blood, but Leviticus has commands to not drink blood. The Jewish people were commanded, don't drink blood. Why? Because the life is in the blood. And God who sees the end from the beginning, he sees how it's going to go in the time of Jacob's trouble, where there's going to be blood sacrifices. So when the Catholic religion was created in 325 AD, it was created around blood sacrifices. It's rooted in Roman paganism, and it's a counterfeit of biblical Christianity. Um Uh, Jesus never commanded anybody to drink his actual blood or to eat his actual body. Um, And certainly none of the apostles ever did that. They never taught that. They never believed that. Um, But the Roman Catholic Church teaches it is their official doctrine that when they pray over that chalice of wine, that that becomes literal blood. Now, if you put all of this together, what do you have? Turn to Revelation 17. Turn to Revelation chapter 17. And we know that in the time of Jacob's trouble, the Roman Catholic Church rises to the greatest level of power that they've ever had. Uh, Revelation 17, starting in verse 3 down to verse 6. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast 
full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand. Every priest at every mass raises a golden cup full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication, and upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. And now look at this. Look at verse 6. And I saw the woman, the Roman Catholic Church, drunken with the blood of the saints and with the martyrs of Jesus, And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. This woman is drinking blood from a cup. This woman is making sacrifices. This woman represents the abomination of desolation that takes over the rebuilt temple. The sacrifices that are going to be made when Antichrist takes over are going to be human sacrifices. And the main featured sacrifice on the altar of Antichrist is going to be the holy seed that Isaiah tells you in Isaiah 6.13 that... Um, that this sacrifice is going to be eaten and that this sacrifice is the holy seed, which is the Jewish people. So now do you see why God is so concerned with the tithe? Can you see why he is so concerned with the tenth part of something? Because in God's economy, For the last 2,000 years, God has been offering salvation through Jesus Christ, the Jewish Messiah, to anyone, Jew or Gentile, who wants to get saved. And if you want to get saved right now, it is the easiest thing in the world. All you have to do is understand that you're a sinner and that Jesus Christ made your payment on the cross. And all you have to do is believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and accept that payment by faith. And the Bible says your sins are forgiven and you are sealed unto the day of redemption. But when this church age ends, and it's going to end in an event that we call the pre-tribulation rapture, when the church age comes to an end, God has a problem on his hands. The Jewish people, the vast majority of the Jewish people are not believers in Jesus Christ. They are not going to be taken in the rapture. And so they are going to be left behind on the face of the earth. And the problem that God has, well, it's not a problem for God, but The problem that God has is that he has to redeem a remnant of his chosen people because he promised Abraham that he would do that. And when he made that covenant with Abraham, he put Abraham to sleep. So it's an unconditional covenant. God has to perform everything he told Abraham he would perform. Now, 
The church is gone. The rapture has happened. And now you have the start of the time of Jacob's trouble. And what is the reason for the time of Jacob's trouble? Well, Jesus says that it is a time of tribulation um, that is unlike any other time that has ever existed in human history. And the way that God is going to redeem his people in the time of Jacob's trouble, it is terrible and it is terrifying. And the Jewish people who are left behind after the rapture, they are going to be faced with Antichrist and the majority of the Jewish people will fall for the lies of Antichrist. And when Antichrist reveals himself as the son of perdition, halfway through the time of Jacob's trouble, and he begins to take over the sacrifices in the temple that Jesus says he will in Matthew 24, the sacrifices that he's going to begin to offer are going to be human blood sacrifices. And that's exactly what the Catholic Church has been preparing people to receive for the last 1,700 years. And Isaiah 6.13 says that 10% of the Jewish people are going to be sacrificed as an offering to Antichrist. And um, that is just, I mean, I can't even picture when you imagine that they're going to be decapitated. Revelation chapter 20, turn there for a second. Revelation chapter 20 tells you how they are sacrificed. I read you the verses from Revelation chapter 6 where the souls that were under the altar were told to rest for a little season so that their fellow servants would be killed as they were. Well, Revelation 20 tells you how they're killed. Revelation 20 verse 4, And I saw thrones... And they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. So, these people are going to be decapitated. Their blood is going to be drained out of their body. And then that blood is going to be offered on the altar of Antichrist in the rebuilt Jewish temple. And that is exactly how Satan is going to mock God. And for a short period of time, it's going to look like he has won. It's going to look like Satan has arrived in the form of Antichrist. He has invaded Israel. Turn to Luke chapter 21. Turn to Luke chapter 21 and look down in verse 20. And when ye shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. Then let them which be in Judea flee to the mountains. And let them which are in the midst of it depart out. And let not them that are in the countries enter therein too. For these be the days of vengeance 
that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe unto them that are with child, and unto them that give suck in those days. For there shall be great distress in the land, and wrath upon this people. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword, and shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles, until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Now, this is the armies of antichrist and antichrist is going to invade israel going to surround jerusalem luke 22 luke 21 22 says that these are the days of vengeance adolf hitler who was a type of antichrist his super rockets that were supposed to turn the tide of world war ii were called the v2 rockets and the v stood for vengeance and adolf hitler said that those days were the days of vengeance why would he say that because hitler was a type of antichrist now this is what's going to happen with the tithe when you get to the end of everything it started out as a 10 percent that abram who is god's chosen man to be the leader he's called the father of the jewish people abram gives a tithe to a type of jesus christ who is the king of Jerusalem. That's where the tithe begins. And you go all the way through the Bible to the very end, to the book of Revelation. And now you have the Jewish people when they fled Egypt, they were fed with manna that they ate. And they were told to keep a tithe of that manna in the Ark of the Covenant. But when you get to Revelation, the Jews are fleeing from Israel, Jerusalem, which has become a type of Egypt, and they are the ones that are being eaten, not the manna. And that's why the tithe is so important to God, because it is connected with the restoration of his people, the Jewish people who, who missed the rapture. God has no other way to redeem his people than to put them through this time of judgment, which Jeremiah calls the time of Jacob's trouble. God is fair. God is right. God is holy. And in order to be fair and right and holy, God has to judge. Now, we are, we are in the church age. When you and I got saved, we were judged. We were found guilty. We were sentenced to hell. And Jesus stepped in and made that payment. If you take that away, if you remove the church, if the church age ends, now how do you redeem God's chosen people? Church age is over. The body of Christ is gone. Now what do you do? There has to be a time of judgment and somebody's blood has to be shed. 
and that's how it's going to go. And that's why. Now do you see why Jesus says that he that shall endure until the end shall be saved? It's going to be on them to make it through the time of Jacob's trouble. Uh, Leon has a question. A lot of proclaiming Christians don't believe the pre-tribulation rapture as, as we do. They believe in mid-trib or the end-of-trib rapture. Do you think that they will be raptured? Uh, yes. If you're saved, if you're truly born again, whether you believe in the rapture or not, you will be taken in the rapture. Um, all the... The only requirement to participate in the pre-tribulation rapture is you have to be born again. You have to be saved. Now, there's lots of people who got saved and they, they fell in with the wrong crowd. When I first got saved, um, I had no Christian friends. I didn't know what to believe. And I got saved with the King James Gideon Bible on the the floor of my bedroom at midnight almost 30 years ago. And um, I started listening to Harold Camping from Family Radio. And Harold Camping, however he started out at the beginning of his ministry, at the end of his ministry, he was an absolute train wreck. And he led a lot of people astray. And I got caught up in all his nonsense for a three-year period. Um, I didn't believe in the pre-tribulation rapture because nobody ever taught me about rightly dividing. I didn't know how to rightly divide. Um, so, but was I saved? If the rapture would have happened, would I have been taken in the rapture? Absolutely. Um, so there's lots of people who are sold things that aren't true and for whatever reason they believe it because they're too lazy to study for themselves and they wind up believing something that's not true. Um, so will people who don't believe in the rapture go in the rapture if they're saved? I believe they will. Um, let me see if there's any, any more questions in the chat room. I think Satman had a question, but I don't see it. Um, Satman is saying, did I know that in their own catechism book, they even disclosed to their members the process of transubstantiation on pages 384 and 385, and none of them even read their own catechism book? That's true. That's very, very true. But any Catholic who's honest will be happy to tell you that their priest tells them that that wine in that cup magically becomes the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, let me tell you something. If you gave me a cup and told me it was filled with the blood of Jesus Christ, I wouldn't have anything to do with that cup. And why? Because my Bible tells me that the blood of Jesus Christ was shed on Calvary. There is no more blood to put into a cup. So if you hand me a cup of blood and you want me to believe it's the blood of Jesus Christ, you're a liar. And you're handing me a cup of devils. 
And uh, that's exactly what's going to be happening during the Great Tribulation. And that's why Jesus Christ says it's going to be a time of Great Tribulation like the world has never seen, no, nor will ever see. And it's going to be a time of human sacrifice and drinking of blood. And I gave you all the verses um, that show you, and it, that's not even all the verses. That's just some of the verses that show you um, that in the time of the Great Tribulation, there, Antichrist is going to have a religious service. It's going to be the Catholic Mass, and they're going to be sacrificing uh, the tribulation saints and the Jewish people, they're going to be cutting their heads off and drinking their blood. And that's why, and I'll close with this thought, that's why um, the Bible says that at the battle of Armageddon, that the blood is going to rise as high as the horse's bridle. There is going to be blood everywhere. And Antichrist is absolutely fixated on blood. And so Revelation 16 says that, um, that um, because they repented not of the works of their hands um, and of their idols and of their sorceries, that these angels begin to pour their vials and they begin to produce blood. They begin to fill the entire world with blood. Revelation 16, 6, For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. And with that, we are coming to the end of our time. But like I said in the beginning, let's take a few minutes. And as a church family, uh, let's begin to pray for some prayer needs. Some of you uh, may or may not know that Lori D's sister-in-law named Rita, who we have been praying for on various programs, and Lori has been witnessing to her, um, she said this. She said that her sister-in-law, Rita, she passed, and she's gone home, um, hopefully, to be with the Lord. She wasn't quite sure um, if she was saved, but Lori says this. One of the last messages to Rita via Facebook was, I asked if she wanted to listen to the prayer for her on the NTEB radio show, and she said yes, Um I don't know for certain if she was saved, but I read both parts of your testimony Sunday night because I had been meaning to read it, and I got such peace about her. I gave her a gospel card last summer, and she's been on my prayer list for a while, too. So let's pray for Lori D's family. Let's also pray for Rob Beatty, and he's going through some health challenges. I want to pray for... Uh, Brother Jesse at my church and his wife Judy. And if you have any prayer requests, just put them into the chat room. And let's just, uh, let's pray, um, for what's happening in, um, uh, Louisville right now. Uh, I don't even know what to pray for. That thing is just such a big mess. Um, but let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy.
We lift up Lori D. and her family to you, and they're grieving now. Uh, Rita has gone on, and uh, we're not sure where she went, but we hope and we do pray that she trusted you before she passed. Uh, Give Lori and her family much comfort during this time and help them, Lord, through it all. And please continue to use Lori as a witness, as a witness for the gospel to her um, remaining family members and loved ones, Lord. Give give her boldness to, uh, to witness for you that some might be saved. We lift up our brother Rob Beatty. Uh, he's going through health challenges and he's dealing with things at the doctor. We ask you to keep your hand upon him. Give the doctors and the nurses much wisdom and guidance. And please give our brother Rob a healing. Uh, we pray for brother Jesse who's battling stage four cancer and his wife Judy. We pray, Lord, that you would give him a healing and give them um, courage to go through this and uh, give their doctors and nurses wisdom and guidance and help them through this this time, Father. Um, Satman says, would you please pray for my stepdaughter for salvation? Um, Keith says, my sister Sherry with dementia and brother-in-law for strength and salvation. We also need to pray for uh, Harmon, brother Harmon's son, who's battling colon cancer, that the Lord would do a work there, that the, that the Lord would heal there. Uh, we, we pray for all the anxiety and the, the, the civil war that's broken out in Louisville. And we pray, Lord, that you would send in gospel workers that, uh, that somehow through that mess you would get glory and that your word would still go forth and people even in this troubling time would be saved. We pray for Israel and the Jewish people, Lord, and, and, and how shocking it is when we read in your word about how there, some of them are, are going to be sacrificed, and, and it's, it's just too awful to contemplate, God, and we pray that some of them would get saved now to avoid that time and to avoid that whole mess. Chrissy says, please pray for my sister-in-law who is Catholic to have her eyes opened and her heart softened. Hal says, pray for those who are in authority over us. I, I want to pray for my three brothers, John, Jimmy, and David, that they would get saved and salvation would come to their house. Leon says, my brother and sister and other family members who need the gift of salvation. Father God, for all these prayers, we lift these up to you and ask you to work and move and uh, as only you can and that you can hear all of the prayers of our hearts. And God, I thank you for the for the healing that you're giving me with my health challenges over the past couple of weeks and all the people who have prayed for me. And I'm so grateful, God, and I feel strength returning and my blood pressure is stabilizing. And, and that's all because of you, God. And I'm, I'm just, and it's the prayer of your people lifting each other up, Lord, and you hear those prayers and you respond to those prayers. Estevic, and I thank you for that, God. Estevic, uh, please pray for our brother Jason. Johanna says, lifting up everyone here with health issues or sickness affliction. Uh, so Father God, for all of these prayers and for the silent prayers of our heart, please work and move as only you can. And we thank you and we commit this time and we ask you, Lord, to do what only you can do in Jesus name. Amen. 
Thank you so much for tuning in tonight, everybody. Lord willing, we'll see you back here Wednesday, uh, Wednesday, Friday at noon Eastern Standard Time for another edition of the NTEB Prophecy News Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. And if you live in Louisville, please stay indoors. Don't go outside. Be safe. And, un- and just please know that we are praying for you, that God would do something to keep you guys safe and that his word would go forward. Uh, so hang in there if you're in Louisville. Thank you for tuning in tonight. Good night, everybody.